There have been questions about why Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl left his post in Afghanistan in the middle of the night for more than eight years. We may get some more answers after his military trial on charges of desertion and misbehavior before the enemy in late October. Bergdahl basically admitted to walking off his post on the podcast Serial. 20 minutes out, I'm going, good grief, I'm in over my head. Suddenly, you know, it really starts to sink in that I really did something bad. He was captured by the Taliban shortly after and held for five years until he was freed in 2014 in, 2014 in an exchange for five Taliban prisoners. Bergdahl has chosen to be tried by a military judge rather than a military jury, a critical decision in this case where he faces a maximum sentence of life in prison. Our guests are Lawrence Morris, general counsel at Catholic University. He's a retired Army colonel who was a judge advocate. And, Va- and Rachel Van Landingham, a professor at Southwestern Law School. She's a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel who was a judge advocate. Larry, let's start with the charges against Bergdahl. Defense attorneys lost a motion to have the charge of misbehavior before the enemy thrown out. Explain these charges. The charge of misbehavior is a charge that, of course, only applies in wartime. And the way it applies here is, you know, the prosecution's argument would be that the law that says any soldier, any service member before the enemy who runs away or abandons his post and, by the words of the law, endangers the safety of his unit by that act, by that disobedience or that neglect or that misconduct, is then uh, eligible to be punished separate from you know what we normally talk about as desertion, which is uh, you know a similar charge for quitting your unit to avoid hazardous duty or to shirk important service. So the, by charging both of these because they have you know different legal bases, uh, the government then can really push its theory that uh, you know you abandoned your people and took off. And Rachel, uh, before we get into this question of judge versus jury, um, you heard the clip that June played at the top, and and uh, uh, Sergeant Bergdahl said some other things on on serial as well. Has he conceded some aspects of the case by by um, admitting in that clip that he may have done something wrong? Well, I mean, it certainly sounds so from from the from the clips and from his um, long statements that were uh, uh, used in evidence during what was called the uh, it's similar to preliminary hearing during what the military calls an Article Thirty Two um, investigation, uh, in which he had uh, there were hundreds of, of pages of statements which he gave to his uh, to an investigating officer, a major general at the time that. That seems to uh, admit some of the some of the elements of the uh, critically the uh, desertion charge. It'll be interesting to see what happens in October. Larry, he's claimed that he intended to cause alarm and draw attention to what he saw as leadership problems in his unit. Is there ever an excuse for leaving your post for something like that? Not as phrased. You know the important threshold consideration is that soldiers are only obliged to obey lawful orders. But when those orders are lawful, obviously there's no opt-out provision for orders that might seem to you unwise, dangerous, stupid, reckless. You don't get to 
walk out of those. And I think the government will, I think, you'd expect that the government would look to have a simple case that doesn't get into or second guess, you know, the wisdom of this or that tactical decision, much less the strategic decision that had him at the uncomfortable spot he was in Afghanistan on the day that he left. The argument simply will be so long as the order was lawful, it applied to you as well as to your buddies. They stayed, you left. We just got word that the CEO of Chevron is planning to step down. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. We'll have more on that in a moment. Uh, R- Rachel, um, on this question of deci- having a judge decide the case rather than a jury, um, we'll, we'll have more time to talk about it. But in, in about 45 seconds or so, uh, what do you think the calculations were going into to the defense's decision there? Well, I'm sure there were numerous factors, but it would appear from the outside looking in that there were two major aspects to that decision, it was, and it was Sergeant Bergdahl's decision, um, which the law requires that he, he make and not his defense counsel make for him. Uh, but I'm sure they advised him that both the, uh, the defense counsel argued against allowing um, harm, aggravation, um, evidence and aggravation of service members' injuries, and the judge overruled that motion and said he would admit that evidence in aggravation um, in a sentencing proceeding, and second factor, which we can talk about after the break, would be that they were denied their ability to uh, to fully probe the potential jurors' uh, disposi- predisposition to find guilt and sentencing because they they really wanted to ask All whether right. these, these you- service members had voted for Trump. Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl faces charges of desertion and misbehavior before the enemy at its trial scheduled for late October at Fort Bragg. Bergdahl was captured by Taliban in Afghanistan and swapped for five Taliban prisoners. He was a favorite target of then-candidate Trump during the campaign. Bergdahl's attorneys tried and failed to get the charges against him dropped earlier this year, arguing he couldn't get a fair jury trial because of Trump's negative comments. They played a video of all 60 times Trump called Bergdahl a traitor. We get Bergdahl, who was a traitor, and they get five of the greatest killers that they've wanted for eight years. The judge also refused to allow defense attorneys to ask jurors if they voted for Trump. We've been talking with Lawrence Morris, general counsel at Catholic University, a retired Army colonel and former judge advocate, and Rachel Van Landingham, a professor at Southwestern Law School, a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel and former judge advocate. Larry, if you were the defense attorneys in this case, would Trump's statements concern you? I'd sure try to make them a matter of concern for the court if I were in that position. You know, the the unique factor in military justice is the concern about, you know, what the military calls unlawful command influence. The idea that the commander is hovering over the courtroom and robbing the system and the jury in particular of its independence. And because the commander-in-chief is the ultimate commander, the argument as a defense counsel would be the president made all these statements and that wafts its way all the way down to the juror who is going to vote in this case. Therefore, he can't really be independent because he'd be voting the way the boss wants. Now, the flip of that, of course, is I think you'd expect the argument the government would make, which is in a way that the higher the 
actor in the command influence situation, the less likely it's really to matter to a jury. In other words, a jury is not really going to worry about what the president might have said, especially when he was just a candidate. But the influence is more likely to come from a commander that he sees every day or that really has an ability to influence his career. Still, the argument on the defense side would be that man made these arguments. He's now the boss. That chills this system, and you need to take some kind of corrective action because of it. Rachel, the defense lawyers, as I understand it, did make some efforts to find out what the prospective jurors thought about Donald Trump. Tell me a little bit about that, and in particular, the judge's decision about whether uh, the jurors had to say whether they voted for Donald Trump. Sure. The uh, defense counsel is a standard in a in a court martial um, with panel members, which is what the military justice system calls its jurors. Submitted a draft panel questionnaire, and the questionnaire that uh, Sergeant Bergdahl's defense counsel submitted to the judge had 42 questions, and quite a few of these questions did deal with whether or not the uh, prospective juror mem- juror was familiar with President Trump's campaign trail statements about Sergeant Bergdahl, uh, what, what's what's their understanding about President Trump's opinion whether they attended rallies for President Trump, and then the penultimate question, uh, which was, did you vote for President Trump or not? And the military judge declined to allow uh, the defense counsel to ask that particular question. And so there's two competing aspects to that. One, the military judge was appropriately trying to prevent service members' um, decision to vote for a particular president from having a litmus test regarding their predisposition either to guilt or to a particular sentence. And on the other hand, the defense counsel, in light of these really sui generis, very unique, unheard of inflammatory prejudicial statements by someone who is now uh, the commander-in-chief, the defense counsel is trying to determine whether or not those potential jurors could make a fair, uh, could fairly weigh the facts and evidence and come to a fair decision on guilt as well as a fair and appropriate decision as to sentencing. And and that's in the context that Larry just talked about, the context of the military justice system. Those panel members are all sworn to protect and defend the Constitution, but also to obey the orders of those above them and the the ultimate individual issuing their orders is the president. So knowing that what the president says, even though there is that attenuation that Larry mentioned, but what the president says matters. And it matters in particular if you indicated that you actually really, that you supported him, perhaps at the at the ballot box. And so those are the two competing, I think, interests on either side. Larry, What's your opinion of this decision to have the case decided by a judge instead of having several jurors there and maybe you can get some differences of opinion? It is, uh, it is one more reflection of the military's concern with command influence that you even have this choice available. You know, it's very rare in the civilian world that you get to choose your forum, that you get to choose whether to go judge alone or jury. And the other factor that goes with this that makes the whole package really unusual is that in the military, whoever is the fact finder is also the sentencing authority. So if you take the judge on findings, then you have the judge for sentencing as well. You know, there's a real kind of rough and imperfect bit of conventional wisdom uh, 
in the military, in the defense community in particular, that in general, and these are really broad, but in general, juries are better for findings, that you know they're more amenable to kind of a gut sense of justice, uh, whereas judges will just work their way through the elements of a crime. And while juries are better for findings, the thought is that judges in general are better for sentencing uh, in that the same kind of gut sense of justice that might have helped on findings could go against you on sentencing if a jury decides to go against you. Further complicator is there are no sentencing guidelines in the military. So in this case, his maximum punishment will be life in prison. So you have a as a defense counsel, you're balancing all those factors, the potential moderating impact of a judge if you get to the sentencing phase, but the desire to be able to work a jury uh, during the during the finding phase. Well, so my expectation is that they had all of those discussions in trying to gauge what is best. Uh, we'll have to leave it at that, Larry, but we will have you back on, both of you, to talk more about this case as it goes on. That's Lawrence Morris, general counsel at Catholic University and Rachel Van Landingham, a professor at Southwestern Law School.